This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. If you're in the market for a new mattress, Casper.com slash Glenn should be the next website you visit. Casper created an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It's one perfect mattress that's sold directly to you, and that eliminates the need to endure one of those commission salesman mattress stores with inflated prices. Casper is shipped for free right to your door, astonishingly delivered in a teeny little box that you're going to look at and say, you got to be kidding me, it's all in there. Just open up the box, and it will be the most supportive sleep you've ever had. It's designed to be that way and designed to be hassle-free. Casper is made right here in America and Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. Breathable latex and memory foams are combined for just the right sink and just the right bounce. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free. If you don't love it, they're going to pick it up and refund everything. Right now, you can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash Glenn. Use the promo code Glenn at checkout. Terms and conditions do apply. It's casper.com slash Glenn. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. Governor Weld, good to have you here. And you got comfortable digs here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. Um, we have had uh, Gary Johnson on uh, several times, and it, it has never gone as planned, never gone as well as we would hope. Um, but um, it, it, and, and I think that's because he has always seemed to um, uh, be playing more towards a, uh, a leftist approach than the right. The thing I like about libertarianism uh, when, it's, when it's true is you can have... You can have whatever opinion you want. Right, right. It's about freedom. Right. Uh, and so I, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, the state and the role that the state plays in all of our lives. I was thinking last night how much time we have wasted over the last eight or ten years arguing over who's in Washington. Uh, if we would only apply that energy to something else, what we, we, we could have done. Let's start with... Um, what are the, what are the first things that you and Gary would do walking into office day one? Oh, I think priority number one has to be the budget and spending levels. It's the first thing we did in our states after we were elected. Um, and both Gary and I were rated the most conservative, fiscally conservative governor in the United States at various times during the 1990s. We actually served together. My second term overlapped with his first term in the mid-late 90s. So, uh, you know, we've said we'd file a balanced budget within, uh, within 100 days. I think it might be quicker than that, actually. What does that mean? Well, it means you send a budget to Congress. No, 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 no. hang on. Yeah. What, is that, what does that mean to the average person, a balanced budget at this point? What is, that, what is their life going to look like? Well, it's going to look a lot better if we can balance that budget. The, right now, the federal government doesn't do what every homeowner does and balance their checkbook at right. the end of the month. They borrow money to fill the gap. So they spend more money than they have because the people in Washington, the, the senators and the representatives, think that if they just turn that printing, government printing press around and green stuff comes out the other end, they think that's free money. You know? And my, my favorite maxim when I was in office is there's no such thing as government money. There's only taxpayers' money. So it would take some cuts to the budget to make it come out in balance because it's not balanced now the way they do it in D.C. Right. And so what does that mean? I know if Washington ever got serious about it uh, and we looked stable, it would mean a lot to the world and business would start to come back, et cetera, et cetera. But what does it look because most people don't realize how much they get from the government already. Yeah, well, this, this would create tens of millions of dollars if you're able to make it stick. And I've been 
you know, campaigning for a, a balanced federal, uh, a balanced budget constitutional amendment for the last 20 years. Uh, you know, I've almost given up hope on the guys in Washington. They're so hyper-partisan, so hyper-gerrymandered. The, those two parties in D.C. really seem to exist for the purpose of killing each other. And, and I yeah. think the only silver bullet to get them to take a common-sense approach to the budget really would be term limits. You know, there were two things I was national chair of when I was in office. Uh, One was U.S. term limits with my friend Howie Rich from Philadelphia, ran the show. Uh, And the other was uh, the privatization council, because I think there's a lot of activities that could be better done either in the private sector or in a partnership between public and private sectors. Those are those are seminal ideas whose time has come and gone and come again. Couldn't they? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Couldn't everything be done Better really in the private sector? I mean, even the military is doing stuff in the private sector. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a big privatization buff. Uh, I, I, I never met a layer of spending uh, in government at any level, federal, state, local, that I didn't think honestly could, could sure. do with a 10 to 20% cut. Sure. Really, it's no such thing. So tell me about the, um, uh, the cuts that you would have to make. Where would you start cutting? Well, I think the goal would be uh, 20% total. Uh, I don't believe in across-the-board cuts. I think what you do is zero-base the budget, which means you take every account, say, how was it last year? Now, in D.C., they say, how was it last year? Let's add 5%. Anything less than that, we're going to scream bloody murder. That's a cut. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's crazy. And what you should do is examine each uh, spending head. Let's say there's a uh, preventive health uh, uh, spending item in in the healthcare sector that produces just scores of millions of wonderful outcomes and avoids spending costs and makes people better without a great expense. You might take that, you might take that appropriation and multiply that by twelve because it's doing a great job. Mm-hmm. And then you get a bigger one. The next one creates some bureaucracy that lives somewhere between the Justice Department and the Treasury Department and the Homeland Security Department and the Commerce Department. And nobody can tell you quite what it does, except it allows a lot of people to talk to each other and it just is very murky. That one might go to zero, frankly. Mm-hmm. And, and I, don't, uh, I don't agree with people who say, I'm going to cut you know, 10 or 20% in the budget just by rooting out waste, fraud, and abuse. That's just a tagline, slogan. And it's usually people who don't know much about the budget who, who say that. And the problem is not that there's uh, an even 10% of waste, fraud, and abuse in everything. The problem is that there are government programs that are ill-advised and shouldn't be there in the first place. That's how you get to a balanced budget in so 100 days. How are two men um, who are libertarian, lean, uh, liberal on many issues, um, that the conservatives would be afraid of on other issues, the liberals would be afraid of on some issues, how are you going to get everybody to say, hey, let's cut these programs? Well, uh, we have the power to file the budget. It then goes to the Hill. uh, And I'm sure that they would scream bloody murder and say, no, we can't do this. And we would say, well, yeah, actually, we can do this. Uh, The Pentagon, for example, they say they have 20% more bases than they need. So, you know, they go to the Hill and the Hill says, oh, no, we're not going along with that. Even though you're the military and this is what you say you need, we are obsessed with getting reelected. And so we don't want one penny to be cut from anywhere in the budget. And it would be ugly. I mean, it would be an ugly conversation for a while. But, you know, if it came back with, you know, 10 times more than we had sent them, 
then the veto pen comes out, and uh, at least we'd be pressing it from the side of the angels, from the right side. Since 1900, who is the president you and Gary would say, I want to be more like? Oh, I don't know. I, I kind of like uh, Teddy Roosevelt, a lot, lot of energy there. Uh, you know, Eisenhower got a lot of good stuff done. Reagan, I, I worked for Reagan for seven years. He got a lot of good stuff done. Okay. Um, tell, me, um, um, tell me your stance on the Fed. First of all, what's, what's coming our way? What do you think is coming our way if we stay on this course economically? Uh, I don't think the news is good. I mean, I think the most important thing we have to do is uh, cinch in uh, our belt uh, on the budget and stop spending money that we don't have. And as you know, unless we do that, uh, the the huge national debt will go up. And Mr. Obama is going to leave office now with $20 trillion with a T, national debt. Half of that came in on his watch. Uh, and uh, can't be because that was un-American. That's what he said about George Bush. Yeah, it was un-American, so he couldn't well, have spent more than George I, Bush. I, I think that if you got the Democrats in, given the promises that they've made in this campaign season, if they followed through on all of those, that after two terms of Democrats, the national debt would probably be fifty trillion dollars. And then on the other side, you got a guy, Mr. Trump, who says, "Well, I'll talk to the Chinese and I'll just uh, strike a better deal." You know, the United States Constitution says. And I quote from Section 4 of the 14th Article of Amendment, the validity of the public debt of the United States shall not be questioned. That's kind of sunk in there in the Constitution. And I keep, I keep saying to the Donald, you know, tomorrow instead of uh, taking out the art of the deal and rereading it for the 400th time, maybe you should take out a copy of the Constitution. It's not that long. It's very <laughs> read well it once. written. Read it for the first time. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, Gary and I do take it out nice. and read it. And uh, it's a good read. It's yes. a very good read. It's very well drafted. Spare language. We haven't been following it for how long? The Constitution? Yeah. Oh, I think we kind of cut loose from that when the necessary and proper clause in Article 1, Section 8 uh, was interpreted by the courts and Congress to mean anything is necessary and proper, and Congress's power to legislate, which extends to items necessary and proper to carry into uh, uh, execution uh, its laws. It's been uh, stretched uh, beyond elastic. So the Fed, where do you stand on the Fed? I guess the current question there is, uh, do we like that it has the employment uh, uh, objective as well as just the currency objective? And uh, the purists say, no, we don't want the employment uh, objective, so go back to just uh, being in charge of the currency. I'm not deeply uh, into that. That's good enough for me. Uh, Leaving the employment is good enough for me. So you wouldn't change the Fed at all? Well, uh, I, don't, I think Gary would. I think Gary would. I mean, it'd be would a conversation. He, you guys haven't had that conversation? Yeah, well, I, I think he's skeptical about uh, the employment objective for the Fed. Okay, so would you audit the Fed? That's the first thing. Big audit of the Fed. And that's, uh, Gary's very strong on that one. Okay. So one of the things we're always seeing from the Fed and, and, and various uh, spending programs in general is this idea that we can spend ourselves into prosperity, that you can find a uh, uh, government stimulus, for example. We have one candidate saying they want a $275 billion stimulus. That's uh, Hillary Clinton. Another one, Trump, who's saying $550 billion plus. He's saying to promise to more than double it. Is there anything to that? Should we be thinking about spending? No, you can spend yourself into bankruptcy a heck of a lot easier than you can spend your way into uh, prosperity. When I took office... 
uh, in the 90s, the head of administration finance for Governor Dukakis, who I directly succeeded, said the state is bankrupt. And it was. The state could not pay its bills as they fell due. So if I hadn't come in in February of the year where I came into office in January with the balanced budget, we would have just been not paying our bills. States can't do that. Great nations, like great men, must keep their word, as Justice Robert Jackson said. And so you did that in uh, a very liberal state. Yeah, I mean, we were flat on our back. Uh, Massachusetts and New Hampshire in 1991 were the two states hardest hit by the recession of 1991. So everybody was scared. Uh, And I think I was able to get stuff through as a fiscal conservative that ordinarily they would have laughed me out of town. But people were literally scared. So they said, let's give the redheaded kid enough rope to... What's it going to take to scare America? Uh, you know, I think America should be should be scared right now in terms of... Uh, you look at this election, it's pretty scary. The election is scary, but uh, the projection of the economy yes. is scary. And I think it's tens of millions of dollars. I strongly agree with what you said. This is not... This stuff about the debt and the budget, it's not just a ledger entry. It's our economy, which means tens of millions of jobs. Yeah, I, I, think, I think we are headed for a, a depression, uh, unlike we have seen, and possibly throughout the entire Western world. I mean, what are we doing with Deutsche Bank, with seemingly trying to punish Deutsche Bank when they are flat on their back? And yeah. what happens? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, difficult, scary stuff out there. The, the Brexit vote, people are just uh, uh, unsettled. I remember what it was like after... 9-11. Uh, I was then in, in the investment business. Nobody would talk to you. All, you know, all flights were canceled for six months. All meetings were canceled. Everybody just went frigid. And we could be reaching another one of those moments. And was Brexit a good thing or a bad thing? Um, I, I tend to think it's a bad thing. That may not be the right answer in this, uh, uh, in this context here, in this beautiful living room. No, uh, we don't want the right answer. We want the real answer. No, I think, I think the real answer is that uh, it's, it's going to upset a, a lot of stuff that was kind of baked into the international economy. So is, but is, do, do people have a, a point of, I don't want this, you know, international body ruling me? I want my own, I no, want no, my own they, country. They do. There's, there's, uh, there's something in that. Uh, a lot of the Brexit vote, I think, was just kind of a protest vote, like a lot of the vote on the FARC uh, treaty that President Santos in Colombia did with uh, the rebels. That was supposed to pass with 65 percent of the vote. Uh, you know, stay was supposed to pass with 60 plus percent of the vote in Britain. And people voted with their votes, I want not to with t- their feet. When we, when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, uh, the protectionist stance that uh, the right seems to be taking um, now. Also, I want to talk to you. We went into Mosul uh, this weekend, ISIS, Russia, and cyber warfare. Um, um, Gary Johnson's running mate, Governor Weld, is uh, with us. And uh, more in just a second. The Glenn Beck Program. Governor Weld is uh, with us from Johnson and Weld. Um, Governor, one thing conservatives are concerned about with um, uh, libertarians is a is leaving a vacuum in the world. It's taken us a hundred years, hundred and twenty years, to get to this position, uh, to where we're in everybody's business. You can't just pull out and leave a vacuum. We have to reverse engineer this to some degree. 
faster or slower, I don't know, but we can't just one day there, one day gone. Um, we, uh, we're seeing Mosul being taken. This is going to cause a lot of displacement and a lot of new refugees, and it's, it's ugly. ISIS is horrible. Russia is saber-rattling. Where do you stand on world affairs? Well, I think it's no secret that both Gary and I, and he has influenced me uh, in, in this area over the course of the last six months or so, we're somewhat uh, less inclined to rush in with American military to effectuate a re- regime change than probably either of the other uh, establishment. Will you go parties. as far as saying, because I think I'm there, we d- we're not in the regime change business? No, no, we're not in the regime change. Yeah. We, we think Iraq was a mistake. We think uh, Libya and Syria, which Huge are squarely mistake. within the Obama-Clinton yes. mm-hmm. uh, regime, uh, are, are mistakes. And... Uh, as Governor Johnson likes to say, wars have unintended consequences. Sometimes they're military, like uh, we back the rebels, they, they lose. So all the arms that we've given the rebels, uh, this is in Syria, end up in the hands of ISIS. That's an unintended military consequence. It mm-hmm. can be moral. I spent a lot of time uh, uh, traveling abroad the last uh, dozen years, and that would include after the 2003 Iraq invasion, the United States paid a moral price for that around the world. And I mean all around the world, Asia, Africa, not just Western Europe. So, you know, we'd, we'd want to think twice. Uh, having, having said all that, I do believe, I think Gary believes in cultural diplomacy and constructive engagement, not just saying we're out of here. But, but militarily, yeah. I mean, those 8,400 troops in Afghanistan, should they come home now? Yeah. Why? Because there's no reason for them to be there. No reason it won't be there in 20 years. You know, come back in 20 years, and, and if they're still there, people will say, you can't take those 8,400 troops out of Afghanistan because the Taliban will come in and there would be a big slaughter. Mm-hmm. All right, so maybe we need to bite that bullet squarely and bite it now. And if there has to be uh, an amnesty, <laughs> a refugee, uh, where the top 250 people who've been helping us against the Taliban, maybe they have to come to the United States. Maybe we have to protect them. Yeah. Somehow. But that's going to be true whenever those troops come home. Real quick, because I have to go to a break. You know where Aleppo is? I do. Okay, good. We got that. If you're in the market for a new mattress, Casper.com slash Glenn should be the next website you visit. Casper created an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It's one perfect mattress that's sold directly to you, and that eliminates the need to endure one of those commission salesman mattress stores with inflated prices. Casper is shipped for free right to your door, astonishingly delivered in a teeny little box that you're going to look at and say, you got to be kidding me, it's all in there. Just open up the box, and it will be the most supportive sleep you've ever had. It's designed to be that way and designed to be hassle-free. Casper is made right here in America and Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. Breathable latex and memory foams are combined for just the right sink and just the right bounce. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free. If you don't love it, they're going to pick it up and refund everything. Right now, you can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash Glenn. Use the promo code Glenn at checkout. Terms and conditions do apply. It's casper.com slash Glenn.